All right, well, good evening. Good to see everybody. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 3? So we are currently in that uh, second major section of the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, which contain the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Been looking at these for a while. And last week we started looking at the seventh and final letter, the letter to the church of Laodicea, the apostate church. Now, we touched on this last week, but biblically speaking, an apostate church is a church that calls itself a Christian church, but has departed from orthodoxy in a number of main doctrines that the Christian church has historically adhered to, such as the existence of hell, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, the virgin birth, that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and even that Jesus was God incarnate. Some apostate churches go that far that Jesus was not even God incarnate. As we said last time, these are churches that are very fluid in what they believe. What does that mean? Well, in other words, what they believe at any given time is pretty much based on whatever way the cultural winds happen to be blowing. At the moment, it's very woke in the church. You know, social justice is very big. Uh, social uh, critical race theory. Uh, if you study these a little bit, you realize that uh, these are not Christian doctrines. But churches feel very woke if they embrace these, and so they have many of them. These are churches, as we said last week, that are ordaining homosexuals to the ministry, promoting the theory of evolution, supporting Planned Parenthood, and are in solidarity with Marxist communist groups like Black Lives Matter and Antifa. These are churches that worship at the altar of Gaia, that's the uh, Mother Earth, you know, goddess. Uh, they're very much into um, the worship of the creation. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But uh, these churches are in alignment with radical environmentalists who, as we said last time, preach the dangers of global warming rather than the danger of hellfire. These churches consider themselves to be Christian churches, but again, they're not true Christian churches. They are apostate Laodicean churches. The church of Laodicea is, a, is symbolic uh, of the liberal apostate church in the last days. And so verse 14 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen. Of course, Jesus Christ is speaking. These things says the Amen, the true, excuse me, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. As we said last time, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that this means that Jesus was the first creation of Jehovah God, the greatest. Uh, creation to ever come from the hand of Almighty Jehovah God, they say, and that Jesus, a lesser but powerful God, created being, then created everything else. As we said last week, the word beginning uh, in the Greek is arche, which can mean a ruler like a king, but the word arche can also mean the origin, the source, or the active cause of something. Both meanings fit Jesus. 
He is the ruler, in other words, the king over all creation, because, listen, he is the active source or creative, excuse me, he is the active cause or creative force behind all creation. Of course, that is consistent with many passages in the New Testament. I'll give you two we looked at last week. First of all, John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 3, where John said, All things were made through him, through Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like that verse. Because if all things were made through Jesus, and without him, nothing was made that was made, then he couldn't himself have been made. Because he made everything, right? There's only two categories, the creator or the creation. So if he was made, but yet the Bible says he made all things, so he couldn't have been, he must be the creator, which we believe, of course, is evangelicals. Then we look at Colossians 1.16, where Paul says, For by him, Jesus, all things, again, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, those are angelic beings, all things, again, all things were created through him. He is the source. He is the active cause, the arche. All things were made through him and for him. He made all things for his own glory. He is the king over all, and he will be visibly someday soon. He bought and paid for this world. He took it back from the usurper. Satan, who took it from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus came to die, to redeem the world back to God, right? And of course, the world wasn't what he was looking for. What, another rock spinning in the cosmos? That's the, he's got plenty of planets, right? It, it wasn't the world he was after. It was, it was the treasure that was in the world. His bride. He died for the whole world, but only those who would receive him as Savior would become members of his church, his bride. That's why he died, okay? Now, let me just stop and say this. I think this statement by Jesus to this last days, don't miss that, to this last days church is significant, uh, that he is the source or active cause of creation. I think it's significant because I believe it is directed. Of course, uh, uh, Jesus was dictating this, um, you know, and, and I believe that, of course, the Holy Spirit was involved as well, because uh, the Spirit of God, uh, you know, is the one who gives forth the word. So, but the idea is that the Holy Spirit uh, knew what was coming. He knew what the last days mindset was going to be in various doctrines, and I believe. Um, this statement by Jesus that he is the source of all creation was given by the Holy Spirit through Christ um, at the most uh, targeted or directed at the most commonly held beliefs of our day when it comes to the existence of the physical universe, the Big Bang Theory and the theory of evolution. Uh, neither being good theories, at best they're hypotheses, okay? I heard one scientist say that, and okay good enough for me, I don't know, but 
Uh, he seemed to think that they were not good theories, that they were at best hypotheses. I just throw that out. But guys, Jesus said, you know, it wasn't a big bang of random molecules and atoms that somehow exploded and brought into existence everything from nothing. No. Jesus said, I'm the source. I am the source. The Bible says he made everything by the word of his power, and he holds the physical universe together by that same powerful word. At one point, Peter tells us he's going to let go. And in all the atoms in the universe, uh, the nuclei of all these atoms, because you've got protons and neutrons in the center of every atom, neutrons are neutrally par charged particles, but protons are positively charged. And when you crush all these positively charged uh, uh, protons in a little atom, nucleus, it, well, what's holding it together? Like charges repel, right? The magnet, you put the positive to the positive, and then what's the push away? Well, why aren't these atoms, you know, splitting and, and pushing protons from each? Why? Scientists don't know. We know. Because the one who created the physical universe is holding it all together by the same powerful word that created it. At one point, he's going to let go. And Coulomb's law of electricity is going to take over, like charges repel, and the atoms of every atom in the universe is going to split and unleash a nuke, a, a, an atomic blast the size of the universe, Peter tells us that all the elements are going to melt in zillion degree heat, and all the universe is going to pass away with a fervent noise, and then he's going to recreate everything again from scratch, a new heavens, a new earth. We'll live in a new city called New Jerusalem, uh, a heavens and all, and an earth that has never been tainted by sin. You know, God doesn't just fix stuff up. He just... He just you know, he doesn't just fix up the old heart. We got, you know, we got saved. He just gives us a new one. Okay, he's in the, you know, he, he's the best remodeler in the in the universe. I'm convinced. But uh, why bother when you're a creator? Just give him a new one. Just gonna give us a new heavens, a new earth, and so on. So it it wasn't a big bang. Okay, I, in fact, we've said this before. Let me say it again. The big bang is true. But it doesn't. It didn't happen at the beginning. It happens at the end. When everything passes over the great noise, right? Check out 2 Peter 3. Look, the Bible indicates that the great last days heresy, or at least one of them, this is going to be one of the big ones. The Bible indicates that the great last days heresy, at least one of them, is going to be the belief in evolution, or more precisely, in a belief, a belief in the doctrine of naturalism. Naturalism. Naturalism forms the foundation for the theory of evolution, which came out in 1859. And evolution is built on the doctrine of uniformitarianism, which got its start in 1865. Why don't you turn to 2 Peter 3 for a second? Second Peter 3, verse 3 where Peter starts out warning us, or telling us, actually, in the first couple of verses, that uh, the prophets of God warned us that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they, uh, as they were from the beginning of creation. 
Peter is telling us that God's prophets have foretold that in the last days, scoffers, unbelievers, many of them secular scientists from the context, will come teaching and preaching the doctrine of uniformitarianism which upon which the theory of evolution is based. Now, what is uniformitarianism, you might be thinking? Well, the dictionary defines uniformitarianism as, and I quote, a geological doctrine that uh, processes acting in the, in the same manner as at present and over long spans of time are sufficient to account for all current geological features and all past geological changes, end quote. Now, did you get that? Because we'll move on then, okay? In other words, all the geographical changes to the Earth's crust have taken place slowly over long periods of time uniformly as opposed to suddenly through, through cataclysmic upheavals. Now, this is exactly opposite to what the Bible teaches, which is that God intervened in the history of mankind by bringing a worldwide catastrophic judgment in the days of Noah known as the flood. This divine judgment brought about sudden and cataclysmic changes to the earth's topography with, uh, with uh, what some scientists, these would be I think mostly Christians, but uh, this divine judgment brought about sudden and cataclysmic changes to the earth's topography what some scientists call catastrophism. Catastrophism. And by the way, this is going to happen again. That's what we're studying the book. That tells us what's coming. Chapters 6 through 19. There's another worldwide judgment coming, and it's going to radically alter the shape and look of this planet. At one point, there's going to be an earthquake so powerful, it's going to split the earth wide open. Of course, it doesn't matter because God's going to recreate it, give, give us a new one anyway, so it doesn't matter if the old jalopy gets, you know, worn out and whatever. God's going to give us a new one, right? But uh, most of the world, especially those in the scientific community, reject the idea that God, if they even believe in God at all, but they reject the idea that God would intervene in the affairs of man to bring judgment. This means they reject categorically the idea of catastrophism and in its place, because obviously the world has got has gone through things that, you know, it, it's obvious. There is mountains, there is valleys, something happened to cause the earth to shift. Uh, they even believe that at one point all the continents were stuck together, and over millions and millions of time, years of time, slowly they separated into what we see today. Uh, they believe in naturalism. They believe in naturalism. We believe as Christians in catastrophism to, ex to explain all the changes and the earth's topography, we get that from the word of God. We get it from the word of God. But Peter goes on to indict people who reject the idea that God has intervened and by bringing judgment that affected the world and how it uh, looks uh, today. Peter indicts them for their willful ignorance on this subject. Look at verse 5. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And of course, he's talking about the flood in Noah's day, how God brought a worldwide judgment, a flood, upon the whole world. And when you look at the world, it's obvious something has happened. I don't have time to get into it, but they have found uh, marine fossils on the highest mountains 
of the world and in the, you know, deserts. Something happened many, many years ago. And if a person's an honest scientist or geologist or whatever it is, uh, they have to concede. The Bible talks about a worldwide flood. And by the way, it's not just the Bible. Every major culture on the face of the earth has got a flood story that's passed. They don't get it right, some of them, and you know, some it's it's eight people. It's um, it's always involves a big boat, uh, but 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 it just says that they all the cultures of the world at one point shared a common ancestry before God divided the peoples of the earth and so on. Now, God, I'm I'm digressing a little. Not that I ever do that, but I'm digressing a little. All right. Uh, but I wanted to spend one more study looking at Revelation 3.14 and Jesus' statement, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the source of the creation of God. I wanted to look at this statement by Jesus one more time in depth because the Bible teaches that the great heresy of the last days will revolve around the belief in naturalism and evolution. And evolution has both a physical and a spiritual arm to it. We all have heard about physical evolution, all right, and what uh, scientists claim happened with that. It's interesting, though, that the devil has set it up where he's also got a spiritual uh, you know, uh, counterpart to it, and that is spiritual evolution. We call it, It's called what? It's called karma. It's called, you know, uh, Hinduism, where they believe that, you know, people are being recycled. And as, if they live a, a good life on the earth, they come back a little more evolved until finally they evolve into godhood. Uh, Hindus believe that. Mormons believe that. There's other groups that believe that. So it's not, you know, you're talking about people that have embraced uh, physical evolution. Well, when the Antichrist shows up and begins to pass along this spiritual evolution, their minds are already programmed to receive that idea, okay? So this is why this is one of the last days, probably the greatest heresy of the last days. I believe it started in the Garden of Eden. God says, don't eat the forbidden fruit. Satan took the form of a serpent and said, Eve, go ahead and eat. God knows that the day that you eat the fruit of that tree, you'll become like him, like God. Spiritual evolution, okay? And I believe that's going to be the lie of the Antichrist. Uh, twice in the New Testament, uh, Romans 1.25 and 2 Thessalonians 2.11 talks about the lie and connects both to the last days. The lie, not a lie. It's a lot of lies out there. This is a very specific lie. I believe is the same lie Satan fed Eve in the Garden of Eden. I believe that was in its embryonic form, but it's had 6,000 years to develop and grow and branch out and it's taken different forms. But it's going to be that that same lie that Satan deceived the human race in the beginning is going to be the same lie he's going to deceive the human race with in the end. That people can become a God. Look at me. I've ascended to God. He's got powers. He can do miracles. I believe his message is going to be, you can have the same powers I have if you just worship me and follow me. Now, that's a very powerful message. How you can evolve into Godhood, never have to die. You have supernatural abilities. So just indulge me a little bit more tonight because I really believe that this is important that we touch on this. 
And, and let me say again that the apostate liberal last days church of today, which right here is represented by the church of Laodicea, is opposed to biblical truth and instead has embraced the wisdom of man or what James and Paul calls the wisdom of the world. What is the wisdom of the world? Well, it's basically science. Science. That wisdom is that everything came about through natural processes. Again, it's called naturalism without any supernatural intervention by a supreme being or a creator God. Therefore, they posit that naturalism, which gave rise to the Big Bang Theory and the theory of evolution, is the explanation for the existence of the physical universe. Whether you realize it or not, naturalism is the reigning ideology of our day, embraced by most of the intellectuals, uh, most if not all the intellectuals. Well, I know it's not all because there are Christians who are intellectuals, very godly men and women that God has raised up to refute these things. You know, um, God, the Bible says, you know, God hasn't uh, chosen many wise, intelligent to do his work. He didn't say any, he said not many. Most of it fit in the second category, the weak, foolish-based nobodies. That's me. So, so, you know, but, but he uses those folks for his glory. You know, but there are a few brainiacs that stand out, all right? And, um, but naturalism is a radiant ideology of our day embraced by most of the intellectual scientists, educators, politicians, and judges in our country and around the world. A naturalist believes that God only exists as a fantasy in the minds of religious non-intellectuals. That's how they think about us, for the most part. In our university's naturalism, again, the belief that nature is all there is, and everything came into existence through natural processes without any divine fiat, any divine commands, is the virtually unquestioned assumption upon which all matters of life are based. Of course, naturalism, which includes worshiping the natural world or the creation, is nothing new. Paul talked about it and those who practice it in Romans chapter 1. Let's turn it real quick. Of course, you all know it. Let me read it to you out of the NLT 2nd edition. Romans 1, starting with verse 22, because Paul nails these very people we're talking about. He said, these folks claimed to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Again, naturalism forms the foundation for the theory of evolution, again, First uh, proposed by Darwin in 1859. And listen to me, the devil has worked very hard for the last 161 years through the teaching of evolution to cause people to believe that there is no God who created us and that we are nothing more than a cosmic accident and therefore life has no real meaning or purpose. Of course, this is directly opposite to what the very first verse in the Bible says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1, verse 1. And so in the very first verse of the Bible, we have the basis for a theistic 
worldview, the belief that everything in the natural realm was created by a divine being. This stands in direct opposition to naturalism, which says that in the beginning, nothing produced everything all by itself. And they have the audacity to look at us as evangelicals and snicker like we're dumb rubes, unenlightened idiots, because we believe in a creator God. And yet, their explanation for everything is very simply, everything came from nothing all by itself. Wow, that's deep. I tell you what, that takes more faith to believe than what I believe. That in the beginning, an all-powerful God created everything. But this is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, heresy of the last days. I'm convinced what the Bible teaches. And the church has not been immune from it. I'll just share with you an article I read uh, uh, some time ago. I've kept it. It says, uh, and I quote, Every year, churches from all over the world celebrate the birth of Charles Darwin. February 12th, 1809 was when he was born. Uh, so they... Uh, Churches from all over the world celebrate the birth of Charles Darwin on the nearest Sunday with what they call Evolution Sunday. The day is celebrated with programs and sermons intended to emphasize that his theory of biological evolution is compatible with faith and that Christians have no need to choose between religion and science. Evolution Sunday has drawn participation from a variety of denominational and non-denominational churches, including Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Unitarian, Congregationalist, United Church of Christ, Baptist, and a host of community churches, end quote. Well, all apostate churches and leaders believe that evolution and Christianity are, listen, compatible, not competing belief systems. Speaking to the Pontifical Academy of Science, Pope Francis said, that the Big Bang and evolution do not contradict the intervention of God as a creator. Rather, it requires it. It requires it. So God had to use evolution, and so on. He said, and I quote, When we read about the creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. If you're a Roman Catholic listening to my voice, whether you're watching live stream or you're dialing this up on our website down the road, will you rethink the church you're in? Well, I grew up in the Catholic. You know that. I grew up in the Catholic. So did my wife. Listen to what this Pope, the Vicar of Christ, supposedly, has said. When we read about the creation in Genesis... We run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand, able to do everything. That's his take from Genesis chapter 1. Talk about the blind leading the blind. He goes on, but that is not so, Pope Francis said. He created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. Evolution in nature is not inconsistent with the notion of creation because evolution requires the creation of beings that then evolve, end quote. 
One author said, and I quote, Such thinking is not new for the Catholic Church, which for six, six decades since the reforms of post, Pope Pius XII has espoused belief in theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. Of course, theistic evolution, let me just say what it is, it's the belief that God created the amoeba and then let it evolve over billions and billions of years of time until here we are, until it evolved into mankind. That's what theistic evolution is. That's where people try to have the Bible and science and blend the two. And so, you know, well, at least we got God in there uh, creating the amoeba. Well, that's not what the Bible says he did. Yes, but science has proven. Science knows nothing. Okay, science has proven nothing, all right? Everything science thinks they know, they don't really know anything, all right? But this idea, this, this belief in theistic evolution is something that the Catholic Church has believed for many years. And, and to embrace this idea of theistic evolution, you have to deny a literal six-day creation. Well... In another article I had read and kept a little couple sentences by another uh, a Vatican astronomer named Guy Consimano, uh, he said that believing God created the universe in six days is a form of pagan superstition. Consimano told the Scotsman the idea that religion and science are competing principles is a destructive myth, end quote. No, it's not. One well-known pastor disagrees that evolution and the Christian faith are compatible and not in conflict with one another. He offered this stinging critique of evolution, and I'm quoting him, to put it simply, evolution was invented in order to eliminate the God of Genesis and thereby to oust the lawgiver and obliterate the inviolability of his law. Evolution is simply the latest means our fallen races devise in order to suppress our innate knowledge and the biblical testimony that there is a God and that we are accountable to Him. Check out Romans eight one. Excuse me, Romans one twenty eight. By embracing evolution, modern society aims to do away with morality, responsibility, and guilt. Society has embraced evolution with such enthusiasm because people imagine that it eliminates the judge, God, and leaves them free to do whatever they want without guilt and without consequences. End quote. And of course that's true because evolution is amoral, amoral. So by rejecting the God of the Bible, who is a moral God, and replacing him with the God, quote-unquote, of naturalism, man is free to live any way he likes, or so he thinks, without guilt or punishment. And so many have enthusiastically embraced evolution in their desire to live unrighteously, as Paul said in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, who suppress the truth, the truth of God, in their desire to live unrighteously, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
the uh, creation declares the glory of God, the heavens show forth his handiwork, and so on and so forth. You can check out Psalm 19. The creation is what the theologians call general revelation. Not special, specific revelation. That's what you have in your laps. We talked about this Sunday, where God gets up close and personal with us and even shares with us his name. But general revelation, the creation, is such a powerful source of revelation that God exists that anybody who denies God exists, based on the revelation God has given people in the universe, there must have been a God who made this, or on the earth with all the complex uh, life forms and so on, anyone who rejects the idea of God's existence, God will hold them accountable on the day of judgment. It's such a clear source of revelation, the, cre the creationists. Look, if there is no God, if man is just a cosmic accident, the result of countless gen genetic mutations, well, then there is no purpose or ultimate value to life, and of course no afterlife. This leads to a philosophy of life that is nihilistic and hedonistic, the motto of which being, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and that's it. That's it. George, Dr. George Marsden, an evolutionist himself, said, and I quote, Creation scientists are correct in perceiving that in modern culture, evolution often involves far more than biology. The basic ideologies of our civilization, including its entire moral structure, are at risk. Evolution is sometimes the key mythological element in a philosophy that functions as a virtual religion, unquote. Well, it is. The idea, science, the word means knowledge. And science deals with the observable, or that which can be reproduced and observed in a laboratory. Nobody's ever seen evolution taking place. They give you all these things, oh, yes, we have. No, what they're giving you is examples of of horizontal evolution. I'll talk about that more in a second. Not vertical evolution. It's not science, it's scientism. In other words, it's a belief system. Just like creationism is a belief system. We can't prove either, uh, you know, uh, evolution uh, or creation beyond a, uh, a shadow of a doubt. They're both belief systems. But I believe creation has a lot more evidence to support it than does uh, a big explosion uh, which brought forth everything out of nothing all by itself. In fact, he said, uh, Dr. Marsden said, you know, that evolution is sometimes the key mythological element in a philosophy that functions as a virtual religion. In fact, guys, as one author put it, naturalism has now replaced Christianity as the main religion of the Western world. And evolution has become naturalism's principal dogma. And so listen, theism leading to creationism and naturalism leading to evolution are actually two competing belief systems. They're not compatible. They're two competing belief systems and they lead to two entirely different ways of looking at and living one's life upon the earth. 
what view you embrace, what worldview, whether it's God and creationism or naturalism and evolution, is going to dramatically affect the way you view life and how you live your life on the earth. The Bible says that God made man a little lower than the angels, right? And crowned him with glory and honor, Psalm 8, verse 5. But most of the Western world, academia especially, has rejected the Creator and has embraced evolution, which teaches that man evolved, man evolved a little higher than the apes. That's a huge difference. The Bible says God made man a little lower than the angels. Science says no, man evolved a little higher than the apes. Tell me that's not going to affect the way you live your life. Do you really believe that? You see, if you remove God slash creation from society and substitute naturalism slash evolution as God, well, you remove the uniqueness of man from the animal kingdom. You remove the uniqueness of man from the animal kingdom. The Bible says that man was made in the image of God. But if there is no God, then man couldn't have been made in his image, and therefore man is no different from any other animal that evolved on this planet. And that is, in fact, the very thing our public schools teach our children from the very first time they enter a kindergarten. But there's a problem with that, a huge problem. If we teach our kids they came from animals, it shouldn't surprise us when they act like animals. And so we're seeing kids growing up in our society without God and without morals, who place little or no value on human life. We see gangs that have taken over gangs of young men and women now, have taken over the inner cities and have turned them into war zones, battling each other, rival gangs over drug turf, and killing innocent people. They get caught in the crossfire, writing them off as simply collateral damage, the price that has to be paid in doing business. We see kids bringing guns into their schools and wiping out classmates simply because they didn't like the way someone looked at them or how they talked to them, or even talked about them on Facebook or other social media outlets or platforms, so they get enraged. But again, what do we expect? From the time these kids started public school, they have been taught a humanistic, naturalistic worldview, a philosophy of life void of God where they evolved from animals, a worldview where everything came about by chance and genetic accidents and where there is no purpose for life, no life to come, and no God to answer to. And so what do we expect when they act as if human life doesn't mean anything? You see, any philosophy of life that's based on the idea of the survival of the fittest, the strong eliminating the weak as the basic means of evolving from lower forms of life into higher forms of life or complex, more complex form. I mean, if that's the ideology that's governing man's thinking and shaping his worldview, guess what? It's going to produce a lot of evil consequences, and so it has. So it has. I mean, if evolution is true, and we are just animals that have evolved higher than other animals in the animal kingdom then why should we bother helping the weak, the handicapped, the elderly, 
and the sick. I mean, let's do away with them. Let's embrace uh, infanticide and euthanasia. I mean, why keep these people around if they're just keeping the rest of us down by draining the resources needed to strengthen the genetically superior among us? I mean, if evolution is true, then Hitler was right. I don't know how you'd argue it. I mean, Hitler was a big fan of Charles Darwin and a big proponent, propo proponent of evolution. As such, he sought to hasten the process of evolution in human beings and bring about our master race by exterminating all those whom he considered gen to be genetically inferior and less evolved. The strong killing the weak, his version of natural selection. And who could, who could have argued with him if evolution is true? But of course it isn't true. And here's why. First of all, more and more scientists are being forced to admit, based on advancements in genetic, genetics, that evolution is impossible. It's impossible. God has coded into every cell DNA for that particular species or kind. Okay? And the DNA in that cell will never be rewritten to produce any other kind. Oh, but mutations. Mutations are almost always detrimental and not beneficial. When there are mutations in a cell, that's cancer. Something is not working right. It doesn't produce a higher quality of existence. It produces something lesser. God said to begin the book of Genesis, after he created life on the earth, he said everything is going to bring forth after its what? Kind. Right? Oh, but there's evolution. Look at the finches uh, in the Galapagos Islands, you know, and, and, uh, and their beaks uh, evolved because uh, they couldn't get at the whatever they used to eat, and so they had to evolve longer beaks to get at the food. And so that proves evolution. That proves horizontal evolution, not vertical evolution. Uh, some have called that macroevolution is vertical where one kind becomes another kind where a lizard becomes a bird that never has happened and never will happen and they have no proof of it ever happening don't let them kid you microevolution is horizontal evolution this is changes within a kind it's called adaptations God allowed for uh, species to, to evolve or adapt to their environment uh, but, but, you know, so dogs that lived in colder climates uh, over time started to, uh, to evolve uh, longer, uh, you know, thicker coats, longer fur, and so on to help them adapt to that cold climate. Or a very hot climate, if they were taken down to a very warm climate, then they would, over time, develop very uh, thinner coats and, and shorter uh, fur. That's... Adapta adaptations or changes within a kind. That is not one kind becoming another kind. God forbid that. And now scientists, uh, through their work in genetics, are beginning to realize that um, never going to happen. I heard a scientist say years ago, eventually science is going to catch up with creation and they're going to come to realize that uh, biological evolution is one of the biggest frauds and ridiculous things ever foisted upon the, the human race. 
It's coming. But let's come at this from a different angle for just a little bit and we'll close. We're talking about evolution. Is it real? Um, and so on. What about evolution? What about humankind? Obviously, in the human race, you see a lot of kindness, compassion, mercy. Not with everybody, not all the time. But we have the ability to show these things, these qualities, uh, these attributes we can display and often do. Where does compassion and mercy come from? The, evolution, the evolutionists would say they evolved as we evolved. I thoroughly reject that. Evolution doesn't produce compassion and mercy because evolution is based on the survival of the fittest, the strong preying upon the weak. If the strong start showing mercy to the weak, it would eliminate the very foundation upon which evolution is built, if it were true. I mean, why is it when it's a tsunami or an earthquake or a plague of some kind hits some third world country that the rest of the world, and I'm thinking about the Western world built on Judeo-Christian values, why the Western world mobilizes and sends workers and food and medicine to that affected area? Let's bring it home just for a second. This whole COVID thing. I mean, our healthcare providers put themselves at risk every single day. I, I watched more than one program where they couldn't even go home because they were afraid of infecting their families, and so they just would stay, sleep at the hospital, or get a little apartment close by, putting themselves at risk day after day. Why do they do that? Because they had mercy and compassion. Why do we worry about little babies born three or four months premature and spend thousands if not millions of dollars to save that child's life? Isn't it a tremendous drain on our resources? Why not just let the child die? I mean, they're not a productive member of society yet, right? Why not just let natural selection take over and eliminate the weak? And the same goes for the elderly who are no longer, and I've got to be careful here. When I used to give this message, I was in the other group. Now I'm in the group that, you know, some want to eliminate, okay? I've got to be careful here. But the same goes for the elderly. I'm going to preach just like I'm 40 again who are no longer productive members of society, you know, and they sap value. This is how some people think. I'm just, I'm not, you know, I'm just saying what some people think. You know, the elderly are no longer uh, productive members of society. They sap valuable resources from the younger members that are productive and contribute to society. I mean, why, why bother with that? Of course, more than a few have proposed that we need to end their lives mercifully, quickly, but they reach a certain age and we euthanize them. This is, where the, this is where that mindset goes. Not our mindset, but some people's mindset. Those who hold to a naturalistic 
worldview where there is no God. Everything came about by a big explosion 15, 18 billion years ago. There is no purpose in life. There is no afterlife. There is no God to, to stand before. So, what, you know, why, why should we bother, they say. Why should we bother? Because life is precious. All life. And why do we believe that life is precious? Well, because we have been made in the image of God. A merciful and compassionate God who created us and then put the sanctity of life within our hearts. Folks, there is no mercy and compassion in a jungle. Let me say it again. There is no mercy and compassion in a jungle. There's only the survival of the fittest. Man is unique from the animal kingdom because our creator made us unique. Only man has the capacity to reflect the glory of his creator in the way of love and compassion and mercy and kindness. The only explanation for morality, guys, is the existence of God, who is a moral God and who has made man in his image and put his moral laws into our hearts. Creationism is the only thing that answers the question of man's origin and makes life, makes sense of life. Hopefully now you see how important the first verse in the Bible is. It doesn't just introduce the book of Genesis. It becomes the foundation for understanding and living our lives on the earth. Without the first verse in the Bible, life is nothing more than an exercise in futility. In other words, life without God is meaningless, is a meaningless life not worth living. But fortunately, that isn't true. There is a God who created everything and everyone. His name is Jesus. The faithful and true witness, the beginning, the source of the creation of God. In fact, the Bible says, and we're done. Let me just say this, we'll close. In fact, the Bible says that not only are we not an accident, not only are we not an accident, we are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2, verse 10, Paul said, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us for a purpose, so we can do all the good works he planned for our lives even before we were born. Your life has purpose. It has purpose. And so God created you on purpose for a purpose. And he has been preparing you for that work even before you were born. You realize that? How do I know that? Because Paul said it. The Apostle Paul mentions this in Galatians 1, verse 15, when he was giving his testimony, how that it pleased God, and I'm quoting Paul now, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. What does that mean? Paul is saying, everything about me, God orchestrated. The family I would be born into. The culture, my physical attributes, my mental acuity, uh, 
color of my eyes. I mean, uh, how hooked my nose was. They say Paul was about five foot tall with a little hooked nose. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was a good looking guy. It doesn't matter. But, but Paul said, look, everything I am, and what the family I was born into, he was born into a, a, a family. His dad was a Pharisee who put Paul on the road to being a Pharisee. At one point, sent him to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of one of the seven great teachers in Israel's history, Gamaliel, where he was taught uh, Judaism and, and things. But then he lived, he grew up in a Gentile area. So he was familiar with Greek culture. He was perfectly suited to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Wow. Even from his mother's womb, God had prepared Paul's life for ministry. That goes for all of us. Look, when you look in the mirror tomorrow to put makeup on or to shave, and hopefully it's the guy shaving and the women putting the makeup on, I don't even know anymore. It's so crazy today, right? I often ask my wife, is that a guy or a girl? I don't even know, she says. But anyways, the person you fix yourself up for tomorrow morning, when you look in that mirror, remind yourself you're no accident. You're not a cosmic accident. Like evolution tells you, you were made in the image of God and God has got a purpose for your life. I'm not saying we all measure up to the purpose. I'm not saying every person on earth fulfills the purpose for which God made them. I know this, if they don't, they will never know the joy or the happiness in their life that comes when you fulfill the purpose for which God created you. Sure, I tell people, you can live your own life. You can do whatever you want. I don't think it's fair that God wants me to do what he wants. Fine, do what you want. But I'm going to tell you something. I have run into more than a few people who did their thing, who lived their, their life their way. And they were miserable, empty, frustrated people. Many of them died young through alcoholism, drug abuse, or suicide, because you know what? A life that doesn't have purpose and meaning is not a life worth living. And you can't live from party to party. After a while, that gets old. I mean, I was there, not maybe to the extent of some, but I was there. And I'm going to tell you something. Looking at this life or the old life, I'll take this life any day. And I don't know if I'm measuring up to all God has for my life. I pray I am, and I want to. But I know this. Everything I have belongs to him. And everything I do, I pray that he would guide me. I don't want to do anything of myself. I want to fulfill the purpose for which God created me, because the more I fulfill what he created for me to do and how I'm to be, the more I'm going to have joy unspeakable my life is going to mean it's I, I, I can lay down at night and know today i have done something to bring god glory and it's never going to it's not going to be it's, it's not wasted so may god give us grace you, you don't you look at verse 14 you read it quickly and you don't really see and it's, like, it's like the first verse in the bible in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth right we read that and we just because, you know, that's the Bible opens up that way and off we go. Do you realize what it is saying is in the beginning, God? You take God out of the beginning and plug in any other view you want. Big bang, whatever it might be. Life doesn't make sense. Life is not worth living. It's only when God 
we believe in a theistic worldview and we embrace this God and we bow to his authority and we live for his glory, that is the only life worth living. That's the only life where if a person lives, they won't need to medicate themselves with alcohol and, and, and fentanyl and all kinds of things just to get through the day because they're so miserable and empty inside. I, I couldn't go back to the old life. I don't care if people dangled a billion dollars in front of me. No way. No way. It's not worth it. So, God willing, next week we will move on. Unless I see something else this week. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but I think we'll move on. And uh, maybe even finish this, uh, although I kind of doubt that. Maybe another couple weeks on the letter to to see it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes that the light of the of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ shone in our hearts. The lights went on. All of a sudden, life made sense because it was life lived for you. And we thank you, Lord. We ask you to continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.